Well, we're going to turn uh, to uh, the Bible uh, now. We're going to have uh, two uh, Bible readings this morning, uh, two short readings, both from the New Testament, and uh, they're going to be one after the other. The first reading is from the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, we're going to read uh, there uh, the first uh, seven uh, verses, not the first 16 verses, as it says on the screen. Too much copy and pasting. <laughs> Listen to uh, God's sure and holy word. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then we're going to turn uh, to the passage we're going to consider this morning. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and this morning uh, we are in Acts uh, chapter 8, the first half of that uh, chapter. Acts 8, I'm beginning to read at verse 1. God's sure word says, And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Uh, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Uh, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And, they, and when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. Uh, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Uh, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, 
Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I may lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, uh, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So reads uh, God's uh, word uh, to us uh, this morning. We're going to uh, pray before we look at uh, that passage uh, together. Let's uh, pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do pray that um, as we consider your word, we will receive it as it is in truth, not merely the word of man, but the word of the living God. Lord, may your spirit who inspired this word so warm and enlighten our hearts uh, that truly uh, we might see Christ and all that is his. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, any kind of uh, new beginning, uh, a child starting a new year at school, uh, maybe starting a new job for the first time, uh, parents with a new baby, even a society opening up after a, a, a pandemic, any new beginning a new situation is both an opportunity for significant advance and blessing, but also a moment of great danger and peril. In the book of Acts uh, so far over recent weeks, we've seen that the risen, exalted Lord Jesus has poured out his spirit upon his church that they might witness to him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even unto the ends of the earth. But we've also seen how Satan has opposed that mission of Christ. The apostles we've seen have faced persecution. Corruption has tried to infiltrate the church with Ananias and Sapphira. And there's been that temptation, remember, to be distracted from preaching, proclaiming the gospel word. And yet through it all, the gospel has continued to spread. Chapter 5, verse 42, we read, Every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease, teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The gospel spreads. Disciples multiply. But then we saw Stephen being arrested, tried for continually speaking of the Lord Jesus as the one that the Old Testament law, the one that the Old Testament temple pointed to. Something greater than the temple, greater than the law, has arrived. Stephen, a faithful witness to Christ, martyred for his faith. And then this chapter that we read this morning, Saul approved Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Previously, we've seen only the leaders, uh, only the apostles had been the target of persecution. But now it's all and sundry, all believers, followers of Jesus are targeted. 
and the people scatter. And yet, verse 4, still we read, uh, those who were scattered went about preaching, sharing is a better word, I think, the word. And of course, it, it, it's no surprise, the word continues to spread. And what Luke does here, he focuses on a one way in which the word spreads. He focuses on, uh, on Philip. Uh, Philip, uh, this man who, uh, like uh, Stephen, was one of those seven uh, chosen at the beginning of Acts chapter 6 to wait on tables, to serve tables. As Philip's uh, driven from Jerusalem by this persecution, we're told he, he went down to a city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. The gospel arriving in this new, in this different place in Samaria. It's new ground geographically. It's also, we're going to see, new ground theologically. Uh, Samaria had originally been part of the uh, Old Testament Israel, Old Testament people of God. Uh, Samaria was the, the region where the northern ten tribes of Israel uh, used to live uh, before they broke away uh, from uh, Judah in the south after uh, the reign of King Solomon. That was a thousand years previous to the events of Acts. But since that time, uh, they'd uh, not only rejected Jerusalem in the south as the, the place, uh, the center to worship God, uh, the, the, the Samaritans had also rejected uh, much of the Old Testament scriptures. They only held that the first five books of our Bible uh, were the Old Testament scriptures. And by the time of the, the New Testament, uh, there was a huge gulf, a huge barrier that existed between the Jews in the south and the Samaritans in the north. And what Philip finds uh, as he enters uh, this Samaritan city is a totally different society to Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, a strong belief in superstition and magic. Uh, a distortion of Judaism. But now the gospel, the good news, comes to them. And it is a moment of great significance and blessing, but also a moment of potential great danger. So far, the witness to the Lord Jesus Christ has been limited to Jerusalem and Judah. But remember, right at the beginning of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus, he instructed his people, his apostles, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What will happen as the gospel spreads over uh, this huge chasm, spreads into this new area over this boundary? Well, the first brief thing I want us to notice uh, this morning is to, to see that the foundations which were laid for the church in Samaria are the very same foundations upon which the church in Jerusalem was built. See that in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of, Samaria, a city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Verse 12, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. The same message Peter proclaimed in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost uh, about the Christ and about God's kingdom. Why the same message? 
Well, because, quite simply, the church, wherever it's found, is built upon the same gospel foundation, isn't it? The people of this Samaritan city, they pay attention to, to Philip's news. They see the signs uh, that he does in the name of Jesus Christ. Those signs, the point to who Jesus is. Uh, those signs, the point to God's acceptances, uh, acceptance of Jesus as his exalted king. It is the same gospel word. It's the same response to the gospel word. People repent, they believe, they're baptized. It's the same result. Verse 8, we read at the end there, there was much joy in that city. Of course there was. Uh, The same things happen as this boundary is crossed. Because wherever it goes, whenever it goes, there is but one gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, one saviour. No new message for a new people. No new message for a new time, for a new place, for a new culture. One gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without that gospel, without that message, there is no church. There is no people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good news for all people. For those who were near Jews in Jerusalem. And for those who were far off from God's kingdom all now drawn into this one family of God, united by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there's a danger. There is a danger, there's a threat, a threat of two tears, I've called it, the threat of two tears. That is T-I-E-R-S, not T-E-A-R-S. The threat of two tears. As these Samaritans turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is something that significantly does not happen. There's something that's missing. I wonder whether you noticed it as we read the passage. Uh, The exalted, risen uh, Lord Jesus, he doesn't immediately pour out his spirit upon these Samaritans. Did you see that? They receive God's word. And yet it's not until Peter and John, the apostles, arrive and they lay hands on them and pray for them that these new Samaritan believers receive the Holy Spirit. Now that's, if we've been reading through the book of Acts, that's not what we'd have expected to have happened. That's not what we've seen. That's not what we've heard of previously. Back in Acts chapter 2, that day of Pentecost, Peter had proclaimed in his sermon, He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. These Samaritans, they believed, they'd repented, they'd been baptized, their sins had been forgiven. And yet the Holy Spirit is not immediately poured out on them as he'd been poured out on the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Why is it that the ascended Lord Jesus wants the apostles present to see the Holy Spirit come on this Samaritan church as they believe for the first time? Well, as the Gospels received in this city of Samaria we do need to grasp something of the gulf uh, that is being overcome as these Samaritans believe. 
I mentioned something of the history of Samaria earlier. There had been massive hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans for over a thousand years. Can you imagine that? Two nations uh, at loggerheads for over a thousand years, generation after generation. The Jews despise the Samaritans. These northern Israelites, who'd been 700 years earlier, they'd been deported by the Assyrians, who then repopulated this area in the north, uh, this area called Samaria, uh, with both Jews and Gentiles. And, and to, the, uh, to the Jews, uh, the Samaritans in the north, uh, they, were, uh, they were racial half-bloods. They were religious heretics. Remember that encounter Jesus has with that woman by the well, that Samaritan woman? She asks him in John 4, he says to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? We don't have anything to do with each other. Indeed, John the writer says, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now maybe we can begin to see the issue here. Here's this Jew, Philip. He's in this Samaritan uh, city. He's proclaiming a savior. He's proclaiming the, the, the king of the Jews. And he's saying, Samaritans, uh, this savior is for you. You can be brought into God's family through trust, through faith in Jesus Christ. But what place would they have in the family? Very easy, isn't it, to see how, how division could have remained. How the Samaritans might have been considered second-rate members of the family, or, or, or members of the family, they're the ones we never speak of, we never talk to. Oh yes, one gospel message, one saviour, Christ, but two churches, which for all intents and purposes were, were divided, were separated. Two churches, a, a Jewish church and a Samaritan church. John Stott really helpfully says, the gospel had been accepted by the Samaritans, and the question is, would the Samaritans be accepted by the Jews? Without Christ's anointed, uh, appointed apostles witnessing the Holy Spirit being poured out on these Samaritans, so, so easy for a, a two-tier church to arise. Remember at the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fell visibly, dramatically, on all of the believers there, the apostles as well. We read in Acts 2, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, divided tongues of fire. They spoke in other tongues. Now, subsequent to the day of Pentecost, other Jews believe. They receive the Spirit in full, poured out upon them, and yet, in a far less dramatic uh, way, has happened on that day of Pentecost. But now these Samaritans... These people that the Jews despised. And you can see, can't you, there's the threat of two groups, of two tiers, the haves and the have-nots, a divided church. Now, why is that such a huge problem? Why does division in the church, why does it matter so much? Well, simply because it, it rips apart the gospel itself. It destroys the very foundation of the gospel that the one church of Jesus Christ is built on. A divided church undermines the very saving work of God, of God saving by grace alone. 
the gospel proclaimed by Peter uh, on the day of Pentecost, by Philip here in Samaria, the gospel proclaimed by the faithful church throughout history is that we all fall short, every one of us, of the glory of God. That we all, of whatever uh, race, whatever language, uh, we're all uh, desperately in need of a saviour. God doesn't save some, does he, because they are more worthy than others. God doesn't save some because uh, they're of a certain sex or a certain uh, language or a certain skin colour. We're all saved by God's grace alone. We're all in desperate need. All stand before God in the same place. There can therefore be no two-tier division, no us and them in the church, no pride, oh, we are better than, than they are, uh, no envy, oh, if only we were like them, no malice in the church, no division, no identity, uh, division because of identity, because of race, gender, social, financial, education standing. As the church crosses this, this chasm from Jerusalem and Judea to Samaria, it is the gospel itself that's at stake. It's vital that the, the, the witnesses whom Jesus had given authority to speak for him, these apostles, it's vital that they are present to see the Holy Spirit poured out on these Samaritans in exactly the same way as Christ had poured out his spirit on the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost. In his church, Samaritans are equal with, are united to Jews. One church, Jew and Samaritan, together because they are one in Christ. I tried to think of an example. Imagine two football teams in, for a moment, uh, two football teams from the same city, maybe Arsenal and Spurs, and say they, they come together to form one new, church, one new team, maybe trying to rival some of the great teams of the North. Uh, and they come together, they unite as one new team. It's a new kit, a new start, new contracts, uh, a new name for the team. No room for any player in this new team to say, oh, well, I've always played in that position. That's, that, that's where I belong. Uh, no room for a player to say, that's my parking space. It's always been my parking space. It, it, that's always been my place in the changing rooms. You've got to find somewhere else. You don't belong as much as me. No, no, it's a whole new start, a whole new team. No room for past divisions, for old distinctions. In the church, no Jew, no Samaritan, simply one new man in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to need to apply that a bit more in a moment. But before we do, it's important to note the God delaying the spirit being poured out on those who repent and believe the gospel as happens here, that is not the normal. That's not the norm. It's not what we're to expect. Maybe some of us have uh, heard that that would be the case. What happens here is a one-off as, as the gospel uh, bridges this huge chasm that stands between Jew and Samaritan to show what kind of church the Lord Jesus Christ is building, 
to vividly show that all alike receive Christ's spirit alike as they trust in him as members of God's family. This passage, it doesn't allow us to claim that people can repent and believe in Christ and, that, and yet not receive the fullness of his spirit until they receive some kind of second blessing, some second work of the spirit sometime after conversion. Why is it that Peter and John, why is it that they need to go down to Samaria in order for the Holy Spirit to fall on these Samaritans as he'd fallen upon the apostles and the Jews on the day of Pentecost? If you flick over to Acts chapter 9, the next chapter, Saul is converted. Saul's baptized. Saul receives the Holy Spirit. No apostles needed to authenticate his conversion. No apostles needed uh, for Saul to receive the fullness of the Spirit. So what's happening here in chapter 8? Back in John's Gospel, during his earthly ministry, uh, Jesus had said to his disciples on the last day of the Feast of Booths when he was at Jerusalem, John 7 verse 38, Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John comments, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. As the disciple followed Jesus around Galilee and Judah, the disciples, they already knew, didn't they? God's Spirit at work in them to enable them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is impossible for anybody to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ without God's Spirit working us. He is the Spirit who gives life. You cannot believe in Christ without Christ's Spirit within you. And yet the disciples, like all believers until the day of Pentecost... They hadn't received the pouring out of the Spirit because Christ hadn't yet ascended to heaven as the risen Savior who would pour out his Spirit upon his church. So go back to the Old Testament, Moses and David and Ruth and all of those Old Testament believers. They all believed in the God who saves, in God's salvation because God's Spirit was at work in them. That was true of the disciples as they followed Jesus around Galilee and Judea. But then fast forward, and the Lord Jesus dies, and he's raised from the dead, and he ascends into heaven, and he is glorified to sit at his Father's right hand. And what does he do? As promised, he pours out his Spirit on his church on the day of Pentecost. And from Pentecost onwards, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you receive his spirit in full. That's true of all of the believers that we've read of in Acts so far. True of uh, the Jews, God's Old Testament people. But hang on, what about this Samaritan rabble? What about the riffraff? As these Samaritans hear Philip proclaim Christ and repent and believe, the spirit works in their hearts to enable them to believe just as, God had been, just as the Spirit of God had been at work in the Old Testament to enable them to believe. But until Peter and John, 
until these uh, authoritative witnesses that Jesus had chosen, until they come down to Samaria, the Samaritans who believed in Christ through Philip's preaching, they are still, as it were, in the position that the disciples were in when Jesus spoke to them at that Feast of Booths in John chapter 7. They're in God's family, but they're living, as it were, under the old regime. But then as the apostles pray, as the apostles lay hands on these Samaritans, the glorified Lord Jesus pours out his spirit on them just as he poured out his spirit on the Jews at the day of Pentecost. This is a one-off salvation history event to show that the church, Jews and Samaritans, without distinction, one new man in Christ Jesus fully members of God's family. And to say this passage teaches that we're to expect a, a kind of second work of God's spirit in our lives that it comes to us at a time after conversion where we receive the fullness of uh, the Holy Spirit. Well, that's to teach, that's to, to do exactly the opposite of why these Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit in this particular unique way. It's to split the church into two, isn't it? To two tiers. Into the haves and the have-nots. Those who've received the fullness of God's Spirit and those who haven't received uh, the fullness. A two-tier family, a two-tier church. That's never to happen, is it? There is one church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we must ensure that we we don't intentionally or unintentionally make it into a two-tier church. Not just within the local church, like Christ Church Romford, but within the wider church as well. There are not to be churches, either, that are built on additional foundations to the gospel of Christ. There aren't to be churches that are built on national identity or economic or, or social uh, standing. There are not to be church, churches that are built on theological distinctives. That's a threat, a danger to the gospel itself. One church built on the one gospel of the one saviour, the Lord Jesus. In the Apostles' Creed, uh, we say, don't we, quite often in church, uh, we believe in the holy Catholic church. We're not saying we believe in the Roman Catholic church there. We are saying we believe in one universal church made up of all of those throughout the world who profess true religion along with their children to be the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the house and the family of God. There is to be no church, is there, where it's, it's, it's me and people, uh, my kind of people, people like me who belong in this church, and then there are others over there, people who are not like me in some way or other. And you can have your own church. You can believe the same gospel, but your church over there and my church over here. And, and never the two shall meet. Uh, Christ Church, uh, Romford, we are, we're, we've been blessed by God, haven't we, to have people from uh, South America, North America, Africa, Asia, Europe. I don't think there are any Australians uh, this morning with us. And where there are people from those uh, parts of the world present in one place, that's how it's meant to be. Someone's not to, to come, are they, from, from South America 
and say, I've got to find a South American church in London because they're my people. That is a denial of the gospel, isn't it? If you're a Christian, the church are your people, your family. One Lord, one faith, one body. And yet it's true, isn't it, that as we look at churches today, we must be clear and faithful in how we understand the truth of the gospel, biblical truth. Error, false teaching, wrong doctrine, that does divide. That is deadly. The church of the Lord Jesus is never to be happy to kind of agree to disagree. Oh, well, we can believe different things. And yet we also need to be generous in spirit with Christians who don't think, see all things as we do. When the denomination that this church belonged to was set up, it was intentionally called the International Presbyterian Church intentionally called that because of the belief that Christ's church isn't meant to be separated by national or cultural lines. Now, whether the, the, the reality of, of where, how that works practically is a difficult knot to untie. But because of the danger that believers on the two sides of, of, of any divide, national, cultural, social, because of the danger that they might find Christ without finding one another, we need to ensure that we believe there is one gospel, one Holy Spirit poured out on all Christians, all who are united to Christ. No two-tier church. Now, really briefly, there's a, a second threat to the gospel uh, as this church goes over this uh, chasm as the Samaritans uh, come into God's uh, family. And it arises in this man, with this man, Simon. There's the threat here of a fake facade. Uh, Simon's a, a cunning magician, isn't he? He's also an idolater. He's claiming to be somebody great, desiring the worship of men. Verse 10, we're told, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. He's claiming not merely to be a prophet from God, but the power of God himself. He's claiming to be a fake Holy Spirit. And the Samaritans were told uh, repeatedly, they're amazed at what Simon did, amazed at his power. That word amazed, it's the same word that was used back in Acts chapter 2 for those who saw and heard the apostles uh, speak in multiple tongues the mighty works of God. Simon here, he's pictured almost as a, as a rival Holy Spirit. Uh, but Simon hears Philip preach the gospel of God's kingdom. He hears Philip preach the, the name of Jesus Christ, and Simon himself believes. He's baptized. He continues with Philip. He's devoted to Philip because of the wonders and the signs he sees Philip performing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Simon himself, we're told, he is amazed at the apostles as they lay on hands and the Spirit comes uh, through them. He's amazed, just as others had been amazed at him. Simon doesn't want the Spirit for himself, does he? He wants power so he can, can give the Spirit to whomever he wills. He wants a trick to perform 
a power to wield in order to wield power over others. How do I do it? How much will it cost, he says? What's this threat to the gospel? Well, isn't it that Simon has understood and he's accepted something of the gospel of Christ that Philip proclaimed? And yet Simon's heart, it's still driven by his own kingdom and not God's. Simon wrongly understands God's kingdom as about gain rather than about God's grace. A kingdom where the power belongs to men and not God. As the gospel crosses this, this first cultural boundary, due to Samaritan, there is a great danger of it becoming a different gospel altogether. A gospel bolted on to existing pagan religion, existing cultural powers with just a thin Christian veneer. Man in charge to withhold or to grant God's blessing. That's what's at stake here, the very foundation of the gospel. That's why Peter is so severe. He says to Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. A church that operates as though it were man-made. What a danger that is. A kingdom that runs on chumocracy, where blessing comes uh, through those who can afford to pay, on whether you fit uh, in terms of class or education, where success depends not upon God, but upon men, Uh, where the Holy Spirit is reduced to just a tool in the box that we can use, pull out and use as we want. And with it, the the free gospel of God's grace is denied. How fearful that the church could think it could somehow manufacture God's kingdom by our own skills, our own power. The gospel once delivered to the saints. It's a gospel for all peoples, for all cultures, for all time. The gospel not of man and what we might do. The gospel of God and what he has done In Christ Jesus. Built on that one foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is building his church through the power of his poured out spirit and his word. No room is there for identity politics in the church. We're the victims, you're the oppressors. We're we're the good guys, you're the bad guys. No, no, we are all sinners. This table reminds us we are all sinners saved by God's grace. All sinners in need of forgiveness. All sinners as we come in Christ, washed clean by his blood. All enlivened, all enabled by the spirit who indwells. All alike. Friends, our gospel must not change as our culture does. There is, uh, says Paul, one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all. To him be the glory in his church. Amen. Let us pray, uh, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ founded upon his uh, broken body and shed blood. Uh, We thank you that there is only one Savior, uh, that there is only uh, one faith, one church. 
And we thank you, Lord, that by your amazing grace, you've called us to be a part of this great work, part of your great kingdom, part of uh, your family. Lord, we thank you this morning that from the youngest to the eldest, um, from the newest to the oldest member of this church, if we've put our hope in Christ, uh, then you have poured out your spirit in us that we might come to you as children this morning and cry, Abba, Father, with a fullness. That spirit of sonship is ours. Oh, so, Heavenly Father, we pray that we would ensure that we live out that unity, that oneness in Christ, to his glory and honour and praise, and for the extension of his kingdom. Amen. Amen.